Good morning, church. When I address you as the church, it's, um, I don't just say that flippantly. I don't just say that to, because I don't have any other words to say. But when I, because when I lead worship every Sunday morning, what do I normally say? Good morning, church. But there's something unique and there's something special about the church, that we are the body of Christ, that we are his, we've heard this before, but we are his hands and feet. We're the extension of his heart to the community and to the culture that he's called us into. And that's no small thing. So when we say, when Ashley was addressing us as the church, I was just like, yes, that is so, so good. And I mean, we come, and the church is unique, right? I, I like to use the word eclectic. Yes, we um, the Bible uses a word called peculiar. We are a unique, eclectic, peculiar group of people that come from all kinds of places, backgrounds. Um, we speak different languages. We are going through different trials and different struggles, and yet we're here on a Sunday morning because really we want to be encouraged, and we, we really want to encourage one another uh, to follow Jesus. Amen. I mean, I look around the room, and I, and I say this often uh, when I'm talking to people one-on-one, um, I really want what God wants for you. I want God's best for you. And so I think if you look across the aisle from you right now, if you look to the, at the one person, the person you're sitting uh, in front of or behind or as you're looking around, um, don't you want God's best for them? Yes. So, and I'll just say this. This has nothing to do with the message today. <laughs> but I really want to take a moment and uh, I want us to pray. And I want us to, to pray for those that are sitting around us. And I want us to be specific, because sometimes we'll, we'll just kind of like just float, just pray whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. But this morning, I want us to be specific, and I want you to pray that they would experience God's best for them. Now, God's best could be all kinds of things. <laughs> but that's going to be our prayer this morning. Can we just take a few moments and pray? God, as your church, as your church, God, we want what's best for those that are sitting around us this morning, for our family members who are at home today, for our family members who are, are away from us today. God, we pray for your best. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I, when I teach, I'm a little interactive. I'm not a preacher. Um, I, don't, I don't consider myself a preacher, but I consider myself kind of a, kind of a teacher. And so, but before we do that, I want to do that. Um, there's power in this little thing, you know. Um, favorite subjects in high school or junior high? <laughs> we're gonna pray for we're gonna pray for Ken right now. In, in Jesus' name, we're gonna pray. Uh, so besides girls, boys, recess, lunch. That was Ben's favorite class. Is lunch um, favorite subject in school? Go shop class. Okay. 
Okay, we already talked about music, music class. Yeah. Who said math? Math, wow. By a, by a show of hands, math, favorite? Really? Okay. Wow, interesting. Interesting, okay. Um, my favorite was close to recess. But it was P.E. I love P.E. I love P.E. And my second was uh, shop class. I loved shop classes. So wood shop and uh, go figure I'd be a cabinet maker for all these years. I loved wood shop. And then my third favorite, which, and I was just thinking about this this week, was actually Jordan's like favorite, was History. I was horrible at history. I still am horrible at history, but I love history. I love just learning about what has happened up to this point. And so today, we're going to talk about 1896. Wow. We're going to talk about um, some fun facts. So this is, um, this is all in the Britannica.com. I mean, Wikipedia has it too, but Britannica. I was Britannica. Who's never heard that word before? A few of you. I remember, like, when I was, I was telling our youth, I'm the youth pastor here, I was telling our kids, um, I call them my kids, I was telling my kids, um, back in the day when we had to write a paper and stuff, we had to go to the library and, and re, like, read books. I mean, we couldn't just Google 1896 fun facts, and all this stuff came up and in a second, and then I could just read them to you, and boom, it's over. And my parents loved us so much, and they really did. And my mom's here. Um, they bought us a set of books, and they're history books. And it was a set of encyclopedias written by Britannica. And, so, and I didn't know Britannica was still around until this week. I was like, wow, they're still around. The books aren't. I don't think the books are, but they have a website. They have fun facts. So fun fact number one, Utah became a state in 1896. It was the 45th state, okay? Go Utah. Um, the Klondike Gold Rush began in 1896. So everybody running, everybody running up, up north. Um, the modern day Olympics in 1896, and they went back to the original, that was a trivia question a few weeks ago, uh, it went back to the original um, city where the Olympics began in Athens, Greece. And, you know, when you research that, you're like, oh, I wonder what kind of, did they do like basket weaving? for the gold? I got the gold medal for basket weaving. <laughs> but really, if you read, read through it, they did a lot of the same events that we do today, so, which I'm not good at any of them. Basketball. The first five-on-five college basketball game happened in 1896. And it was against, well, the teams were the University of Iowa against the University of Chicago. And the University of Chicago won. It was a barn burner. It was 15 to 12. <laughs> Ishmael, 15 to 12 in a basketball game. Ishmael can score 27 points just by himself in a basketball game. Okay, in a whole basketball game. This is the one I love personally. <laughs> the speed limit changed in the United States in 1896. It went from four miles an hour to a radical 14 miles an hour. 
I mean, that's 10 miles per hour. I mean, you could really get there if you're going 10 miles an hour faster. You know, the Bible says to confess our failures, our sins to one another, and we'll be forgiven, right? We know that verse? Yes? So any speeders in the house? Yeah, I'm a speeder. I'll just admit it. Oh, we're actually pointing other failure out to other people in the room, okay? I'm, a, I'm totally a speeder. Um, fastest you've ever been in a car? Um, I was going to point out somebody this morning, but she's not here. Because um, she used to be a race car driver, so I was going to ask her. Um, yeah, you don't know? Well, you'll have to ask me later. Um, fastest you've ever been in a car, Eric Munch. What's the fastest you've ever, like driven? How about driving? How about riding? Okay, riding, I'll take that. 110. Can I, can I beat a 110? 110, 110, 110, 115, 115, right there, 115. One, what, 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 Karen? 110, you're the same. 120, that's, a, that's all you know because the speedometer said 120. Okay. My son Subaru says 140. And I believe it. Tim. Wow. Sinner. In a school bus. <laughs> Do we have anybody that could be 125? Okay. Yeah. I've been, okay. I've never sped in my life because my parents are here. My mom and my moms are here. 120 that I know for sure. Um, my son and I had motorcycles. I'm kind of getting off the track here, but that's my job um, as a youth pastor is just... Um, so you guys know when we leave the church parking lot and you turn, come out to the light here and you turn left, like right here, it's not, it's, I mean, it's quick. There's a digital speed limit sign. Yeah. It's just supposed to tell you how fast you're going by the time you hit that sign. So my son and I, when we had our motorcycles, we treated it like a video game. <laughs> how high can you get that thing to peg? as you whip by it around that corner. <clears throat> well, I admit it, but I won't tell you how fast. We've had, uh, <laughs> we've had some. So, so I'm, I'm a speeder. So I just thought the whole speed limit at 14 miles an hour was a little radical. I mean, I, I have a hard time in school zones going 20, even though I do, because I don't want to get a ticket, because I've gotten one one time. So uh, anyways, so fun facts about 1896. Um, okay, so now we're going to talk about 1896 inventions. I love inventions because I, I can't invent anything, but I just love ingenuity and people think these things. So here's a 1896, Tootsie Rolls, come on. Now Tootsie Rolls are, um, they don't get very much credit. Did you say amazing? I love Tootsie Rolls. I love Tootsie Rolls, but I take candy, and we put candy out at Wildfire and stuff, and the last thing's in the bowl every time. Tootsie Rolls, which is like great for me, because I love them. Um, so let me, let me ask you this. My, Cleo's here, my wife's here, and this happened. We were, we, were, we were dating, and we were going to a Christian concert way back, and she's laughing now. It wasn't funny at the time. I'm eating a Tootsie Roll in the car, and has this happened to anybody else? When you're like chewing on one of those things, like you lose your breath, like takes your breath away, and you're like, 
Now, it's wonderful because you have chocolate in your mouth, but at the same time, you feel like you're dying. And so I'm doing that, and the car is full of people. We're packed. They all think I'm joking. I'm like, why would I joke about choking to death while I'm driving you guys to a Christian concert? Okay. So because Nicole is here, 1896, we're going to pass the offering baskets again this morning. But this time, you get to take something out of the offering basket. So just, just pass them. We have, the ushers are on break, so we're not going to ask the ushers to pass them. So just pass, pass them around. Lucius, you can have two. McKenna, you can have two as well. Okay. I think there should be enough. There should be plenty. 1896, tootsie-rolls. That's a good year. I love tootsie-rolls, okay? 1896. Anybody know what that is? Sewing machine so far, Morse code so far. Come on, Jace, come on. Ooh, that's kind of, sort of, no. Anybody know what that is? I have not, an espresso machine. Who said that over here? (laughs) Their first vanilla latte was made in 1896. No whip. Okay. No, not a telephone. It's actually an x-ray machine. The original, it was patented. It was, uh, yeah, being produced. It was patented in 1896. X-ray machine. So, yeah. Anybody use an x-ray? Had an x-ray machine used on them before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? Yeah. X-ray machines. Pretty important. Oh, are we done? Pass them around again. Okay? Pass them around again. Okay? Make sure, make sure Nicole gets a couple of them over here. Okay? Yeah, don't choke. Okay? As you notice, I'm not eating one right now. All right, the last thing that, I, that I'm going to stop, I'll stop with this, but 1896 Inventions was the ice cream cone. Come on. And I was actually, um, I was just, I was, I guess I was impressed with myself. I was looking up all these facts, and Ashley and I think Marcy came by my office this week, so I'm telling them, hey, the Tootsie Roll was meant in 1896, and then all this stuff, and I said, the ice cream cone, I, well, I, I had the Tootsie Rolls on my desk, um, and I said, then the ice cream cone, and then Ashley was like, well, are you going to hand out ice cream cones at church? <laughs> no. We're not going to hand out ice cream cones. But ice cream cones. Any ice cream cone fans in the house? Yeah, almost all of you. Almost all of you. 1896. Well, also what happened in 1896 is this book was published. This is not, this book looks like it's from 1896. But it's actually 1889. So it's, it's almost 30 years old. And so for those of you that aren't quite 30, you're like, man, that book looks really old. <laughs> for those of us over 30, we're like, yeah, that book looks like how I feel. Okay. 1896, this book was uh, published, and um, it's been one of the best-selling books of all time. Over 30 million copies of this book have been sold. And what I want to do is I want to tell you a little bit about this book this morning and then kind of tie it into what 
what we've been kind of doing at Wildfire and what, we, what I've been just kind of chewing through personally. So this book is a fictional Christian book. It's called In His Steps. And it's a fictional Christian book that really was pretty radical for the day. Not pretty radical, it's very radical for the day. And it is set in the small town, small town USA, little railroad town um, of Raymond. Uh, Raymond's this little small town, small-ish town um, that's on the railroad. And uh, it's beginning to beginning to thrive. They have their own newspaper, and uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on in this town. And there's this perfect little church uh, called First, First Church of Raymond, very original name, um, First Church of Raymond. And there's a pastor there named Henry Maxwell, and, and, uh, which is a great, what a great name, Henry Maxwell. And he has the honor and pleasure of pastoring First Church of Raymond. It is the perfect church. So whenever you hear perfect church, you know, Billy Graham used to say, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. <laughs> hey, that's, I didn't say that. Billy Graham said that. Um, there is no perfect church. But in their eyes, they were the perfect church. All the prominent business people came to that church. Um, the wealthy uh, came to that church. Um, they had amazing families. They had incredible gifted volunteers, much like we do here. And yet that all came crashing down. This all happens just in chapter one. Um, when a homeless man walks into their service. And they had, people had seen this man um, throughout the week. Now, it's interesting. When you read a book from 1896, it uses terms and phrases that we don't use anymore. Because um, this it has been retranslated, but in this case, it's um, it's straight out what what uh, the author Charles Sheldon wrote, and so when I'm reading it, it said a tramp walked into the church, and I just you know what you know what we think of today when we think of tramp, right? Yes. Well, in this case, it's talking about a person who is going from town to town looking for work. Um, a homeless person, or what we would call today. And there's a famous Disney movie, Lady and the... So this man walks into the church. He had walked through town. He was asking for work. He would kind of gone through town. Nobody offered him work. And he heard the sound of worship, sound of singing. Um, and so he thought, I'm going to go to church. And as he sits in the back, underneath the balcony... Um, he hears all these amazing words. He hears this amazing message from the pastor. Um, but he feels that there's a disconnect. Have you ever been in a place where everything's done right, but there's a disconnect? Yeah. <laughs> Someone just said something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's just a disconnect. And so... Um, he, as the service is being wrapped up, and it's always the perfect service, right? A few songs sung at the beginning, a few announcements in the middle, a message at the end, and then lunch. And as the music begins to play, he begins to speak from the back. And that doesn't happen at this church. And so this voice speaks up, and everybody's like shocked. It's awkward. It's... It's weird. 
people don't know what to do, so they just freeze. And he begins to speak, and as he's walking up towards the front, he's sharing about this broken and dying world that's outside the walls of the church. And he's sharing about there seems to be a disconnect between what's happening out there and what's going on inside here. And we always, and what he says is, I hear you saying the right things, but I don't see you doing anything about it out there. So I'm not going to give you this, I'm not going to be a spoiler. Anybody read this book before? So I'm not going to be a spoiler alert. That's chapter one. And then the rest of the book um, simply talks a little bit about um, what happens. The church is in shock when he comes up, when he, when he walks forward. And the week following, the pastor, Pastor Henry, he's like wrecked. He thought he, everything was going just perfect, right? But then now he's challenged, and God uses this, this homeless man in his life to challenge him that not, not just to say the right things up here and not just to do the right things in here, but we need to say the right things and do the right things outside the walls of the church. Amen. And so, as that's all happening throughout that week, Pastor Henry comes back the following week and he, they have the perfect service again, but there's, but there's this undertone of what's happening and, and what has happened in this past week. And so the pastor says, hey, for those of you that want to stay after I want to encourage you. I have a challenge for you. And so they come, they come together, and this is what he tells him. This is after the church service. This is, this is a quote from the book. I can read it here. I think I can read that. I want volunteers from First Church who will pledge themselves earnestly and honestly for an entire year not to do anything without first asking the question, what would Jesus do? And after asking that question... Each one will follow Jesus as exactly as they know how, no matter what the results may be. That is a great, great challenge. I love the last line. And after asking the question, each one will follow Jesus as exactly as they know how, no matter what the results may be. And the rest of this book takes different characters and different people from different walks and different backgrounds, and it follows them as they follow Jesus. And it's interesting. There's some blessing, like, oh, this is cool. But there's also a lot of cost. And when I say cost, that means it, when you live a life like this and say, okay, I'm in this situation, Jesus, what would you do? That brings a whole new weight. And so there's a lot of loss, what we would think is loss. They would, even in the moment um, when that man was, was addressing them in front of the church, it was awkward, it was, it was crazy, it was something that had never happened. They would later refer to that moment as the remarkable interruption. I love that. The remarkable Interruption. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about 
um, what would Jesus do? Living with him and for him outside the walls of the church. Like for me, it's pretty easy to live for Jesus in this room. This is a cool room. It was cool even when it was peach and oak and a couple of you are like wrinkling your nose. But this is a cool room. It's pretty easy to live this way. What would Jesus do in this room? It's a lot different when we're outside the walls of the church. But Jesus doesn't call us to follow him inside the walls of a building only. He calls us to follow him everywhere he goes and everywhere we go. So living for Jesus outside the walls of the church. So this book was written in 1896. So fast forward about 100 years. I was talking with Tim this morning. He said the WWJD uh, thing kind of swooped through in the 70s. Um, I guess I was a little young. I wasn't a Christian uh, in the early, 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 or even, yeah, early 70s. And so uh, I don't know about that movement. But in the 90s, can you think, don't you think like the 90s were just like five, 10 years ago? Yeah. Nope. But in the 90s, this youth pastor, give it up for youth pastors, right? There's, um, a youth pastor back in uh, Michigan uh, found this book, and he read it, and it really challenged him. And, and he started the whole phenomenon, the whole WWJD bracelet phenomenon. And so, um, Karen, tell us how you really feel about that. Um, the whole WWJD bracelet um, phenomenon started and spread throughout the whole world. And you can still buy them today. I bought mine on Amazon. Okay, and it was delivered to my house. It was great. Okay. So what would Jesus do? Living with him and for him outside the walls of the church. So looking at our actions, attitudes, and decisions through the filter of what would Jesus do. So that means in my activities, and my schedule, the things that I do, I mean everything, looking at all those things through the filter of what would Jesus do. You guys know like any photographers in the house, anybody like really like photography, a few of you, okay? Um, filters. Filters are cool because like when you're doing pictures, you know, back in the day you had to do all your own kind of stuff. Um, but now you can buy, if you want to do like soft focus, you can buy these lenses and take a picture and you look like Barbara Walters. Like, wow, look at Barbara Walters. You know, she only will, like when you feel like, when you like watching the news and all the pictures are thing and you go to Barbara Walters, it's like this soft focus and all this stuff. That's because that's what she demands. I want, if I'm going to be on camera, it's got to be with these filters. Okay? And so, living for Jesus through the filter of, well, what would Jesus, what would you in this situation? And um, <laughs> I just, I, I, when I ask that question, there's a couple incidences that pop in my brain. Um, what would Jesus do? And I guess one of them was, I remember my dad, we were driving, the, Cleo and I were driving the other day, and there's this massive boat of a car uh, in front of us. And my dad loved cars, and so he had a bunch of them. And... Um, and so it was a big Lincoln Continental. And so my dad um, had bought this Lincoln Continental in Texas, and my aunt and uncle drove it up. I and mean, it was a boat. 
thing is about 22 feet long. And there's a two-door. I mean, and the door was like six feet. You know, you just like open the door, you know, and you just, and you didn't have to crawl in. Like the cars now, you kind of have to crawl in. This one, you can like lay down and just roll in because it was just so big. And, you know, and you sit in this thing, it was amazing. And he, he fixed it up. He had it painted gold. And then he pinstriped it. And, um, and their driveway my dad and Gretchen's driveway is this narrow driveway, and it's super long, and no backup cameras back then. I am so spoiled by my backup camera. Okay, I was backing out the other day, and I was like, there's no camera in this car. It was my son's little Subaru. So I, like, I actually had to go like this. I'm like, man, that hurt my neck. So I'm backing out of my dad's car. I have a Toyota truck. I had a little Toyota truck with the big mirrors on the side. My dad had just pinstriped his car, and he had pulled it over to the side of the driveway, and I'm backing my truck up, and I'm like 17 years old. My blue Toyota truck with the fuzzy dice and the Krager wheels and everything. Music blaring, everything's, everything's great, until I hear this. Gretchen, do you remember that? <laughs> At that moment, I had two choices. Just keep going. Or stop, pull forward, assess the damage, and then keep going. <laughs> and then walk back into my dad's house. And say, Dad, I just scraped off the pinstriping of your car. So what happened was, and it was like a miracle. I mean, I did, my mirror caught the pinstriping and just scraped off the pinstriping in about a 6 to 8, 12-inch spot before I stopped. And then, so we just had to re-pinstripe that area. I mean, I didn't dent it, praise the Lord. I did have an option, though. I had... I could have just kept going, but I said, you know what, as hard as it's going to be, I, just, I need to go in there and tell my dad that I just <laughs> ran into his car. Okay. okay, one more. I was in Arkansas with my, um, with my family, and back in the day, my cousins are crazy with fireworks. It was in this, we always went back in the summer, um, and my, we were out there, and we were, you know, you light the firecracker, and you hold it as long as you can, and you throw it to your cousin. Okay, okay. Well, so we're lighting them and throwing them. We're lighting them and doing that. And, you know, we're thinking we're really cool. We have the punks and we have them in our mouth. And, and we're lighting them and throwing them and we're doing all that stuff. So I lit one and the fuse went really fast. So I just kind of threw it and it landed on top of my aunt's car. <laughs> Why cars? Okay. Landed around on my aunt's car and it blew up. And I'm like, whew, nothing happened. The car didn't blow up. The firecracker blew up. So I walk over there, I'm like, and there's a burnt spot. No joke, that big. Like right in the middle of her hood. I mean, like the paint, like melted, burnt. And I'm like, first of all, I was impressed. Like, that was a killer firecracker. <laughs> and then I was scared to death. Like, oh my gosh. I got choices again. I could just say, 
somebody else did it. Or I can go in and find my Aunt Betty and say, Aunt Betty, I was throwing a firecracker and I burned a hole in your hood. Never talked to Aunt Betty since. I don't know where, no, I'm just kidding. So I, uh, <laughs> so I walk back in the house, and you know, it's family get together, so a lot of commotion, a lot of things going on. And I pull her aside and um, I tell her what happened and she says, I can't believe you did that to my car. You put a hole in the hood of my car. And I was like, oh, so you already feel bad, right? right? So now you feel really bad. And so I'm like, I'm so sorry. And then she starts laughing. <laughs> that was already there. <laughs> they had had an engine fire at one point, and it like, got the metal hot and burnt and crackled the paint and melted the paint. My, and then my, fire, you know, my firecracker had nothing to do with it. <laughs> so I say, I mean, those are kind of fun. Those all have good endings, by the way, right? He was always honest. I was always honest. Tell him a fish story. <laughs> I have a fish story? Oh, I do have a fish story. Is that the northern pike? Is that the big northern pike in Minnesota? Yeah. So my cousins are fishing in Minnesota, and we're like under the dock fishing with corn, you know, and we're catching sunfish about that big. And this guy comes in off a boat, and you ever seen a northern pike fish? I mean, they're, they're big, and they almost look alligator-ish. They got a weird face, and they got a longer snout, and they have really sharp teeth. And he had caught a bunch of them, and he gave us one that fish. Is this the story you're telling? About, yeah. telling? So, so then my cousins and I concocted the story that we caught this massive thing with our little string on corn. <laughs> and they had sold it, and I'm just there for a ride and everything, but then I felt so guilty. I had to tell my mom, we lied about the fish. So then my cousins got really mad at me. So. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, I just don't lie. I just can't. I rather, I guess, I rather just say, I rather face what's happening now, even though it might be painful and hurtful, than to put off the inevitable, right? And so, um, living life through this filter. So Jesus, in my situations, um, what should I do? What do you want me to do? And so that's where I've been kind of camping a lot lately, and um, and asking these questions. So through my attitudes, my actions, my decisions, um, through my travels, through my dealings, through my procedures, through my trials, the choices that I make, the judgments that I make, Jesus, what would you do? And so I got to thinking, so Jesus, what did you do? And I've got three things for you this morning. Jesus did a bunch. In fact, the book of John says that if we wrote all the things that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain all the things that Jesus did. So this morning I have three, three quick ones. Jesus spent time with God his Father. And this really ties in to Pastor Darrell's message last week. Good job, Pastor Darrell. Loved it. Listen to, I kept rewinding it like, wow, that was good. I got to rewind that again. Um, just this oil crisis that we have, that, that when we walk with Jesus, there's this anointing, there's this infusion, as he, the word he used. There's this amazing thing that happens when we take time to spend with our Father in heaven. 
But most of us, and I'll include myself, make the excuse, I'm too busy. That's a lousy excuse. (laughs) Because what happens is when we do spend time with him, he redeems all that other time. He makes, like when I spend time with Jesus, when I say I'm too busy, I feel, I, I go through stress. Let me rephrase that. When I say I'm too busy and I sacrifice my time with my Heavenly Father and I just try to make it happen, make life happen on my own, what I experience is anxiety. What I experience is stress. What I experience is more failure. What I experience is I'm still too busy. But when I take time, and it could be five minutes, it could be ten minutes, it could be a half an hour, it could be whatever. He takes care of all that other stuff. The anxiety, the stress, the failure, he just takes care of all that. And so it's important that if Jesus spent time with his heavenly father, Jesus was saving the world. Talk about a busy guy. Jesus was saving the world, and yet he would pull himself aside and spend time with his heavenly father. Over 45 times in the New Testament, it says that Jesus, sometimes it even says that he snuck away. Because there is so much attention put on him. There's so much expectation put on him that he would sneak away and say, and just spend time with his father and be refueled, to be infused with more of the spirit. It's important that we, as followers of Jesus, as the church, sneak away and spend time with Jesus. I love what Pastor Darrell says. He gets up early and he goes to work. He's the mayor uh, of the town that he lives in and he goes in. He hates it when we say that. Okay, so we're going to say again, he's the mayor. Um, he, he's, the, he's the pastor of Edgewood and he just has a title that says mayor. But he gets all his fires put out And then he spends time with Jesus in his office. And I'm like, man, that's cool. I love that. Now, it's not for all of us, but maybe that's for some of us, wherever it might be. You know, I'm a pastor, and I still have a hard time saying that, thinking, well, I guess after 20 years, I should be able to say that. But I hardly ever study inside the walls of this building because there's so much going on, and there's so much that needs to be done. And so I have to get away from this building and sneak away. And a lot of times I study just sitting in my car at the park or just sitting in my car studying. Back to the car thing again, I guess. Okay. Not blowing anything up, not going too fast, just sitting still in my car. and spend time with Jesus. The other thing Jesus did is that he embraced the outcast. I think we would use a word nowadays that sounds a little bit better, the marginalized. But Jesus embraced the outcast. I mean, there are numerous stories. Jesus didn't just go to the prominent. Jesus didn't just go to the, to the, to the famous. Jesus went to those who were forgotten. 
And I think sometimes we kind of lose sight of that. I know for me, I felt in junior high when I was first introduced to Jesus, when my mom first started going back to church and said, would you come with me? We'd never gone to church before. Um, And I recognized somebody from my school there, and they knew my name. And then I was like, I'm in. I can come to a place that somebody knows me. Because I felt like an outcast. I was new in the area. I was, uh, believe it or not, I was really short. (laughs) I was really skinny. I mean, I was tiny in seventh grade. And that's how I felt. And yet Jesus met me there as an outcast, as one society would push aside because of my outward appearance. And I think sometimes we as a church, we forget about when we're outside the walls of, this, walls of the church, and even sometimes, let's be honest, inside the walls of the church. We don't always embrace the outcast. It's really not that hard. Let me rephrase that. Activity-wise, the doing-wise, it's not hard. What's hard is the impact on our hearts. Ask Pastor Jason when he went to Africa and he came home. And he used the word, I was wrecked by what I saw. And now he spent the last 15 15 years or so, 20 years, taking action by what he saw. The hard part is what happens in our hearts, the breaking that happens in our hearts. My prayer recently is, God, I want to see people the way you see them. It's not always easy, right? Because that changes, that changes us. I want to see people like Jesus sees them. And the last one is that Jesus restores or restored. I want to say present tense. Because he did and he does. He restores broken lives. This, was, this is a verse that, in Psalms, this is a verse that is about what Jesus does. Is anyone crying for help? God is listening, ready to rescue. If your heart is broken, you'll find God there. You'll find God right there. I love this. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. This is the Message Bible. Actually, and just on a side note, you know, Eugene Peterson, who, who translated the Message Bible and took the original language and then translated it into something more, a, little, a little bit more flowery, a little bit more um, kind of in-your-face version of the Bible. He just passed away this last week. He was in his 80s. Um, but if, it, I'll just say, if, if you don't read your Bible very often or if you've been reading your Bible for a long time, Get a version of the Message Bible. And I know some people are like, oh, whatever. 
Get a version of the Message Bible because it brings, like if you read the NIV version of this, it doesn't say, hey, if you've been kicked in the gut. It just says, like, if you're going through a hard time, God will be there with you. But what Eugene Peterson says, it's, I mean, have you ever been kicked in the gut? My favorite, I told you earlier, my favorite class in school was P.E. I remember being a little tiny guy um, playing goalie in P.E. We played soccer in P.E. And I just remember, I've only had the, eating a tutu roll, I had the wind knocked out of me somehow. Okay? But I just remember the only other time I've had the wind, like, knocked out of me. You guys laughing at me about the tutu roll thing. It was real, I'm telling you. But I remember playing goalie, and I, I was quick, and I was like, why would I just stand here? But nobody else wanted to play goalie, so I'm playing goalie. And so I'm just standing there, and this big guy's running right at me with the ball. And I just know, like, well, I'm here, and the goalie's behind, goal's behind me, and my job is to what? Keep that ball from going into that thing behind me. So I'm just, like, right here, and he gets probably from here, me, Gary and myself, and he just wails off and hits that thing. And I stop it. It was a great save. I didn't stop it with my hands or my face. But I stopped it with right here. And it knocked the wind out of me. And I'd never had that happen. Um, anybody had the wind knocked out of you? You don't think it's coming back. It's the weirdest, scariest for those few moments, I think it's about 10, 15 seconds, it's the way you're just like, <gasps> but I saved the ball, I saved it. Okay. Eugene Peterson says, man, it's just like that. If you've been kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. And I was just thinking, I know we're talking about WWJD, but when I read a verse like this, I say, we gotta call a timeout for a moment. I'm a sports guy, so we're gonna call a timeout. Maybe some of you this morning, you're here and you feel like you've been kicked in the gut. I want to encourage you that God is here to help you catch your breath. God is here to help you catch your breath. And so spend time with him. And so you can catch your breath. Here's my challenge to us as the church. The politically correct guy in me says, I would like to see volunteers. But I'm just going to say this. I want volunteers from Renton Christian Center who will pledge themselves earnestly and honestly not to do anything without first asking the question, what would Jesus do? And after asking that question, each one will follow Jesus as exactly as they know how, no matter what the results may be. So if you've noticed on my wrist, I'm wearing a What Would Jesus Do bracelet. We started this at Wildfire, our youth group, at the very beginning of the summer. Um, I was just spending time with my Heavenly Father one day, and, and the whole WWJ thing came to my mind. I'm like, why would that come to mind? And so I just said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to dig deeper. Uh, and he said, that's, that's what I want you to talk about for the summer, is what would Jesus do? Let's, man, if we can start young with this filter on our life, how much easier it will be for them. And so, um, went on Amazon and bought bracelets. And many of us, this is my second one because the first one broke. 
Um, and I wear it. I never take it off. And it's just a constant reminder as it catches my, as it catches my glimpse. Like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. What would Jesus do? And I want to encourage you that it's, it's changed us. It's changed me. It's, it's changed my heart. It's drawn me closer to him because I'm living like every moment. I mean, even as I move my hands right now, I can see it. With this desire of, Jesus, I just want, I want to do what you do. I mean, Jesus said that he only did what the Father did. He had a different bracelet. Okay. WWFD. What would Father do? And so... I bought some bracelets for you. There's a whole bunch of them in here. And so I encourage you today, as we wrap up, to come up and grab one or two. Maybe hang it on your rearview mirror. You don't have to wear it if you don't want to, but loop it up and put it on your rearview mirror. And just put it, put it in your pocket. Hang it on the, your purse or your merce, whatever you have. Okay? And just be reminded... Be reminded that, man, in my situations, in my life, the places where I go and what I do, I want Jesus there. I want to be his representative. I want to be his ambassador to the people around me. Not only do I want my heart changed, but my desire is I want other people's hearts changed. Not that they need to be changed. And when I say by that, what I mean by that is I want them to know Jesus. So I guess that is a heart change, right? I want them to know Jesus like I know Jesus. Can we pray? Father, we're thankful that you do call us your church and that we are who we are because of who you are. Pray that we would live with this, this knowledge and these filters that we just know who we are and who you called us to be. And God, I know it's a process. I know we're all in process. But I thank you that you've laid this foundation for us. And I pray for us as a church that we would live for you and with you outside the walls of this building. And if it takes a little bracelet four letters to remind us of that, and God, I pray that that will happen. Be with us this week. And I know you are. You're always with us. But we still pray that prayer. I guess if I rephrase it, Jesus, I would pray this. God, I pray that we will be with you this week. In your name, amen. I encourage you to come up and grab some bracelets before you go home today. God bless.